All right, hi. Great to see you. We finished our series recently on the book of Romans, so I have been given a slot where I can talk about what I want, which is great. So I want to share with you something which has been on my heart for some time, and I've called it, The Lord Opens Doors. That's what I want to emphasize as I speak this morning, and I'm going to talk loosely from Acts chapter 12, so if you have a Bible, you might like to turn to it, and I'm going to read from verse 1 to verse 19, and I want you to notice as I read what it has to say about gates, doors, bars, and so on. Don't think you're going to be able to read that somehow. (laughs) That looks more like the Rosetta Stone in the British Museum. Listen, don't worry about that. I will read it, okay? So just leave it, please. Just leave it, and then I will read it, okay? Unless it can come up immediately. (laughs) Otherwise. All right, here we go. Acts chapter 12, verses 1 to 19. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And after arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know, without a doubt, that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back, without opening it, and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the brothers about this, he said, and then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. 
I was in a meeting last Sunday. In fact, I was here last Sunday morning, and I felt the Lord say to me, there are no doors closed to me. There are no doors closed to me. I felt the Lord further say, I've defeated Satan. I've defeated death. The strongest opposition you can imagine, they're defeated. There are no doors closed to me. And the passage that I read as I was standing there came to mind. Further than that, another passage came to mind during the meeting, and it was from the book of Isaiah, where the Lord through Isaiah, speaks to a pagan king called Cyrus. And he says to this king, he says, I take hold of you to subdue nations before him and to strip kings of their armor, to open doors before him, before Cyrus, so that gates will not be shut. So this pagan king, the Lord says to this pagan king, I'm going to open doors for you. And then I began to think as well about Jesus, and I thought of the disciples after the resurrection when they were hiding behind locked doors before the fear, because of fear of the Jews, and the Bible says, and suddenly Jesus appeared before them. Locked doors are not a problem. There are no doors, the Lord says, that are locked to me. I do appreciate, of course, that sometimes the Lord closes doors. So, for example, the Apostle Paul, with some of his friends, <laughs> the Apostle Paul, sorry about that, with some of his friends, um, if there's any other funny stuff come up, just wave your hand so I can know and uh, stop and... Uh, okay, right. We're, all, we're on track now. Where was I? Okay. Let me just have a look at my notes again. All right. Okay. The Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul. The Lord closed the door. He was trying to get into a place called Bithynia in Asia Minor with uh, some of his friends to bring in the gospel. And it says the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So in that instant, the Lord firmly closed the door. The Spirit of Jesus would not allow them into Bithynia. However, if you read on, you will see it's because the Lord wanted to open another door for them. He wanted to open a door for them to go into mainland Europe so that the gospel would get into mainland Europe for the first time. I also appreciate that just because the Lord may open doors for us, it doesn't mean to say that life will go swimmingly, easily, well. You know, if we don't know it by now, then let me tell you, there is suffering in this world. You know, there is pain, there are difficulties, there are obstacles, there are disappointments. However, in the midst of all those things, the Lord still opens doors. In the Psalms, it says this, those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. So I don't know, maybe you're at a time in your life where you may be sowing in tears. Well, I would just encourage you to hang on in there because it says you will reap with songs of joy. So at the moment, there may be some doors that seem to be closed to you and you are tearful about that, but nevertheless, it's not always going to be like that. The Lord is more than capable of opening doors, so hang on in there. In the account of Peter's imprisonment, 
we see that prayer was a key ingredient in seeing this particular door opened. If you look at verse 5, it says, Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Further in verse 12, it says, He went to the house of Mary after he got out, the mother of John, where many people had gathered and were praying. The other week, Neil encouraged us with the words, pray we must. You know, we must pray. And prayer, it shows, among other things, it shows our dependency on the Lord. Even this week, someone said to me, we're powerless. And I knew exactly what they meant. Frequently, I feel powerless to change situations. Let me give you some examples of that. So, for example, say someone comes to me, they've got some difficulty, and I maybe take some counsel from other people, and we give them some good, solid advice. I have got no power at all as to whether they take that advice or not. And so, often we're powerless. Even if I pray for healing, in and of myself, I have no power unless the Spirit enables me to affect that healing. So often, we're powerless, so we feel powerless. And prayer shows that we have a dependency on the Lord. And as we heard earlier during the worship, if you heard that bit, the Lord encourages us to ask. He says, ask, in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 to 11, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Then Jesus further goes on to say, Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a snake? Or if he asks for a fish, will, sorry, will give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So here Jesus quite clearly encourages us to ask, to seek, to knock, and he says the door will be opened. I can remember, <clears throat> as I was thinking about this, as a boy, maybe I was about five years old, and I used to live in northeast Scotland in Aberdeen, a fishing port at that time. And many people who lived in the city worked in the fish industry or the fish-related industry, including my dad. And I remember as a little boy of five, I would be looking out of the window. I think it was usually a Friday afternoon when he got paid. I'd be looking out of the window waiting for him to come home. Why? because he would usually bring me something nice. And often it was a comic. He would bring me a comic. And the one that I got was the dandy. I don't know if they still produce the dandy, do they? Or has it gone into the... Do they produce the dandy still, I wonder? Desperate Dan. Do you remember? Has anybody ever read the dandy or is it me? Is, am I too old? To, uh, a few, oh yes. A few willing to confess, okay. Desperate Dan, but... It fueled my love, it partly fueled my love for reading, and I still love reading today. I've graduated a little bit from Desperate Dan, <laughs> just a little. Um, but nevertheless, he never, ever, ever brought me home a bag of rotten fish. Never. Never. Though you are evil, Jesus said, 
you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your heavenly Father know how to give good gifts to you? It's just a fact. And I don't know about you, but I have received many, many good gifts from the Lord. I have received many blessings, even, even this week. I have received many good kindnesses from Jesus. And Jesus encourages us to ask. Now, I also appreciate <clears throat> that this does not mean you will get whatever you like. Now, if you know the song, Oh Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? My friends all got Porsches. I must make amends. No, so it does not mean as we ask that the Lord will just give us whatever we want. No, it doesn't mean that. But nevertheless, Jesus wants to open doors. There is no question, no doubt in my mind whatsoever that Jesus wants to open doors. Now, I think we need to remember one thing. Well, we need to remember things, but we need to remember the one we are asking. Remember what he's like, who he is, the one we are asking. Jesus talks about our Father in heaven. So he's our Father, and he is a loving Father, and he cares for you. He's interested in you. He's tender-hearted, full of compassion, slow to anger, abounding in love. You know, he opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And when we pray, it shows that sometimes it can show a degree of our dependency on him, which is a good thing. He says he's near to the brokenhearted. Have you been brokenhearted? Have you felt sad? He saves the crushed in spirit. That's the one that we approach. He's the one. Have you ever shed tears, tears of sorrow? He's near you, the Bible says. He's utterly opposed to evil, but there is no darkness in him at all. You know, this morning as we were praying upstairs in Neil's office, I was reminded of uh, something that Neil quoted from G.K. Chesterton, how uh, G.K. Chesterton quoted uh, or said something about what the Lord does, how the Lord causes the sun to rise every day, causes the sun to come up. And the way G.K. Chesterton put it was like this, do it again. Do it again. Do it again. And there's an absolute delightful consistency in our Heavenly Father. He's not like shifting shadows, the Bible says. He's not fickle. He doesn't change his mind. He doesn't think, this morning, I love you because you put five pounds in the offering. But next week, if you put nothing, I won't love you. He's not like that. He's not fickle. He doesn't change his mind. He's consistent in his love for you and me. So as we approach him, we can have a confidence in who he is. It says further, a bruised reed he will not break. And a smoldering wick he will not quench. Do you sometimes feel bruised? You know, the circumstances of life batter you around and you feel bruised. You will not be broken, Jesus said. Do you sometimes feel as if your, your life gives off more smoke than light? Jesus said, I won't quench you out. My desire is that light will burst forth. This is the one we approach. He's the conqueror. He's all-powerful. He's got the keys of death and hell. And when he opens a door, no one can close it. And when he closes one, no one can open it. And he stands at the right hand of the Father and intercedes for you and me. <laughs> Recently, I've been thinking about God's love. 
I've been thinking about God's love for me. And I don't know about you, but I know God loves me. I know God loves me because of various reasons. Here's one reason. I know God loves me because it says so in his word. God so loved the world, that includes me, that he gave his only begotten son. So I know that God loves me. I know that that's an unchangeable truth. We're going to break bread later this morning. And as we do that, we're going to remember that Jesus died on the cross for us. Why did he die? He died because he loved us. He died that we might be forgiven. He died that we might enter into relationship with God. He died that we might have eternal life. So Jesus came and he died. It's a historical fact. He was crucified on the cross in A.D., whatever it was. And I can look back on that historical event, and I know that God loves me. It's an unchangeable truth. It does not depend on my circumstances, whether I've had a good day or a bad day or an indifferent day. It doesn't depend on my feelings, whether I wake up feeling cheerful or whether I wake up feeling sad. Those things written in God's Word are truths that we stand on. They're unshakable. They're unmovable. However, having said all that, Sometimes, I have to confess, I feel insecure and vulnerable. I feel vulnerable sometimes. And I think, I know, Father, that you have a universal love for mankind. Because it says so. You you so loved the world. And I know I'm part of that. Because I'm part of the world. Therefore, you love me. But recently, I've been saying to the Lord, and I, I know the answer. I know the answer in my head. But sometimes I need to know it at a deeper level. I've been saying, Lord, I know you love me, and you have a universal love for mankind, but do you love me personally? Is your love personal? Or is it just a tick in the box of, yes, there's one more who's coming to heaven? Or do you have a personal love for me? And then I further said to the Lord, do the things that are on my heart, do they matter to you? Are they important, or is it only the big things that are important to you? Is it like, you know, the nations, you know, beating swords into plowshares, the big things that you're interested in? What about me and my small corner? Are you interested in the thoughts and dreams and desires and things that I I have? And I've just been, maybe it's a foolish question, maybe you're sitting there, saying, well, that's a daft question. But I see some of the prophets and others in the Bible, they express their vulnerabilities from time to time. So, for example, we see Elijah. I'm paraphrasing these guys. Elijah, you know, I just had enough of this opposition. I just, I'm fed up. I can't go on. I might as well die. Or Jonah. Jonah, after Nineveh is saved, sitting under this shrub that shrivels and dies. He's getting baked by the hot sun. He said, oh, well, I knew, from, I knew from the start that you were a good guy, kind and gracious God. What was the point of what I was doing? I might as well be dead. Or we see Habakkuk saying this. Habakkuk says, I'm calling for help, but you don't listen. You know, to God, you don't listen. Well, of course he's listening. But nevertheless, he's expressing something of his vulnerability here, something of what he's really thinking and really feeling. Do you know what? I'm so encouraged that God can cope with what I really think and what I really feel. God can cope with my vulnerabilities. God can cope with my doubts. God can cope with my questions. It's not a problem to him. So I was expressing some of my vulnerabilities, and we see as well like Naomi. Naomi in the book of Ruth. She goes off to the land of Moab because there's a famine in Israel. She goes off with her two sons, daughters-in-law. Sons die. 
she comes back, a broken woman, and she says, don't call me pleasant, but bitter. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. She knows the one who is responsible. Or we see Hannah as well. You know, she can't have children. It says, in bitterness, she wept much and prayed to the Lord. So don't be afraid to express what's really on your heart, is all I'm saying. And sometimes we feel that we've got to, you know, embellish our prayers in some way or, you know, make them approving to the Lord before we present them. Well, recently, I have to confess I haven't done that. I've just, it's just all come out. What I've really thought, what I've really felt, everything. And I said to the Lord, do you love me? Do you love me personally? Is it important to you? Am I important to you? Am I significant? I need to know. I know you love me. I know the Bible tells me. I know you died on the cross. But I somehow, I just need to know. I was out walking and praying. Uh, it was about, I don't know, a couple of months ago. And I was out asking the Lord about things. And I was asking him. And as I was talking to him, this song popped into my heart. This song, which I hadn't sung for, oh, almost 40 years. And uh, it went like this. It's so wonderful to know my Savior cares for me. It's so wonderful to know my heart is really free. He who sees the sparrow fall will hear my call. It's so wonderful to know God's watching over me. Probably wouldn't make the top ten uh, at New Day. But nevertheless, <clears throat> it pumped into my head. And I just thought, where did that come from? I haven't sung that for 40 years. I wasn't thinking about it. He who sees the sparrow fall will hear my call. And I thought, is the Lord trying to say something to me here? I know I'm a slow learner. Has the Lord popped something into my heart that he wants me to take notice of? So what I did was I just thought about it. When I went home, I said to Joy, do you remember this song? And I sang it to her. And I think you vaguely remembered it, didn't you? So I thought I'd ask some of the old timers, forgive me, but I love you. You know what I mean. Uh, <laughs> some of our dear faithful friends in the faith. And I asked them, and nobody could remember it. And I thought, well, I think it, perhaps it was the spirit who popped that into my heart. Anyway, I put it on the back boiler. And I may have told this story before, but if I've told this story before, please forgive me. I might do the extended version as well, if you are able to listen. I, I think I might have told this before. I was in Bournemouth. Joy and I were in Bournemouth for a weekend. And as we were walking through Bournemouth, I was saying to the Lord, Lord, be nice if I could meet some Nepali people. You know that I like Nepali people. You know I love speaking the language. I'm learning the language. It would be great. Bournemouth is not renowned for its Nepali population, but nevertheless, I asked the Lord. You know, Jesus said, ask. So I thought, well, I'll ask. So I did ask. And the day before we came home, we were in Primark of all places. Joy was downstairs. I was with her. She was looking at the lady's stuff. She said to me, why don't you go upstairs and look at the men? So I went upstairs, looked at the men's, and lo and behold, I went to one of the tables where people were looking at some clothes, and there were three people standing there. Guess what? Guess what? They were, I, I thought, they look as if they're from Nepal. So I went up close to listen to what they were saying, and lo and behold, they were Nepali. And so I started speaking the little Nepali that I know to them. They were absolutely amazed. <laughs> now, that's a, so again, I thought, is that Jesus? Is it me or is that coincidence? I have been praying, I did ask. Anyway, our Nepali friends who are sitting here this morning came over and I wanted to take them to Windsor Castle. And I know that this time here, yeah, Windsor is absolutely mobbed. So I said to them, 
what we'll do is we'll go to Beaconsfield Service Station and we'll eat there before we get to Windsor Castle. So I went over to Beaconsfield Service Station. This was uh, about two, three weeks ago. And uh, we, we had a McDonald's. They'd never had that before. I thought it would be an interesting experience for them. And you know what it's like if you ever go into McDonald's and you go up to the, the counter, if, you know, they're very efficient. You have to say, they'll say, can I help you? So you, sometimes you don't need to even choose somebody. They choose you. They look at you and say, can I help you? So I went in there, and this guy uh, said, can I help you? So I went up to the counter and uh, started the order, and I looked at his name badge. I didn't recognize the names, but I knew it was not an English name. So I said to him, where are you from? Guess what he said? He said, Nepal. So I said to him, Malai Achamalagyo, which means I am surprised. His jaw nearly hit the floor. <laughs> and then I started talking to him in Nepali, and as he was serving me, and I asked him, this is all in Nepali, I said to him, are there any other Nepalis work here? He said, yeah, my friend is working here. He could not get over it. Now, that was interesting. However, so I went, I got the food, went, sat down at the table. Now, this is true, by the way. This is true, okay? There was another gentleman who was wandering around inside Beaconsfield Service Station. Have you ever seen Star Trek? Well, if you haven't seen Star Trek, let me explain something about Star Trek. And Star Trek, <clears throat> what happens is, say somebody's on the planet and you're in the spaceship up there, and they're in trouble, what you can do is you can get Mr. Scott to beam you out of the situation. So what happens is you dematerialize. They dematerialize you, and then they rematerialize you in the spaceship. Well, there was this gentleman who was walking around inside Beaconsfield Service Station, and it looked as if someone had dematerialized him out of Kathmandu and rematerialized him into Beaconsfield Service Station. He had a Nepali traditional hat on. He had Nepali traditional clothes on, drainpipe trousers. He had a sort of a shirt down here. And I said to our friends, I said, that guy looks Nepali to me. I said, he's got to be Nepali. Anyway, I went off to the loo, and when I came back, lo and behold, this man is speaking to them. And he, indeed, he's Nepali. So I start speaking to him. And he is totally gobsmacked. He comes, and so am I. He turns out to be a Hindu priest, of all things, who's serving the Gurkhas over here. And I thought, that's just amazing. And I thought, maybe the Lord is trying to tell me something here about his love. It's not just universal, it's personal. The Lord cares. The Lord is interested in you. Yes. The Lord is interested in the things that matter to you. And actually, do you know what? The closer we get to the Lord, the more He influences our thoughts and dreams and desires and aspirations anyway. But the Lord is interested. It's a partnership, isn't it? It's just not me in my small corner doing my own thing. I want the Mercedes Benz. I want to win the lottery. No, it's not that. You know, I trust that we're being influenced. As we draw near to God, God draws near to us, and he influences the thoughts and dreams and desires and aspirations that are in our heart, and he may even birth them. So I'm a slow learner, as I said. After the resurrection... Mary goes to the garden tomb, <clears throat> and she sees that the tomb is empty. The angels speak to her, but she doesn't get it. She sees the tomb is empty. She goes into the garden, and she sees a man standing there. And she says to the man, do you know where the body is? If you've taken away, can you please tell me where it is so that I can, you know, 
do what I need to do. She doesn't realize that the man in the garden is none other than Jesus himself until he speaks one word to her. What is that word? Mary. It's her name. What does that tell me? And then she recognizes who he is. It speaks to me of a personal God. It says one word. One word to her. Suddenly all the doors open. She gets it. Speaks her name. And in the Bible, names are often very significant. Names are to do with your identity. They're to do with who you are. I want to tell you this morning, Jesus speaks your name. He speaks your name. You're not just a face in the crowd. But you are special and precious and significant and important to him. And I'll tell you what. If you were the only person who lived on planet earth, ever, Jesus would have come onto that cross for you personally. That's how much he loves you. Amen? Amen. So the Lord, we need to remember the one that we're praying to. He's a personal God. He loves us in a personal way. He's interested in the hopes and dreams and desires. Let's ask. Let's seek. Let's knock. I haven't seen all my prayers answered. I haven't seen all the doors that I want to see opened, opened yet. Is that going to deter me? No, it's not going to deter me. <laughs> I'm going to keep asking. I'm going to keep seeking. I'm going to keep knocking. And if the Lord closes one particular door, well, it's probably because he wants to open another one, like he did with the Apostle Paul. But the Lord does open doors. It's my experience that the Lord is not unwilling to open doors for us. He loves it when we place our trust in him. Again, last week in the meeting, in the first 20 minutes of the meeting, I felt the Lord say to me, I like it when you trust me. <laughs> I like it when you trust me. And I thought, yeah, well, I want to do that. I've seen the Lord open many doors for people here at King's. Doors of marriage. Doors of having children. Doors of mission opportunities. Some amazing ones. <clears throat> amazing ones. You know, a, a lady in this church, she had a desire from the time she was quite little to work in marine biology. Oh, she's here today, is she? Second meeting, okay. And um, Joe, as it happens. She had a desire to work in marine biology from the time she was very little. And um, it never came to pass. She did a PhD in something else, I think. And she's a bright spark. And, uh, however, I think it's tomorrow, is it, Ian? Tuesday. Tuesday, she's going off to Malaysia. Indonesia, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> well, I knew she was going off somewhere anyway. Anyway, <laughs> I've learned a lot about sea cucumbers. All right? Because Joe is going to be involved in uh, helping the farmers in Indonesia, the sea farmers, to grow sea cucumbers. I had no idea what a sea cucumber was. I'd never even heard of a sea cucumber. I just imagined this long green thing that grew beneath the sea, but it isn't just some kind of creature. Anyway, isn't that amazing? It's just amazing. She had this desire from, she was, from the time she was very little. She wanted to do some marine biology, and lo and behold, later on in life, the Lord's opened that door for her. I can remember as well another gentleman who's sitting here who as a little boy was looking through a book, and in the book he saw some palm trees. And uh, at that time, when he was a little boy, you know, people did not go abroad for the holidays. In fact, you know, if you went to the seaside in England, that was a massive treat. So 
he saw this book with palm trees in it, and he said, I'd like to go to a country with palm trees. Many, many years later, Frank, he was in South Africa on mission, and he saw some palm trees, and the Lord said to him, there you go. There you go. The Lord opens doors. Why? Because he's good, he's kind, he's gentle, he's gracious, he's patient, he's loving. I've seen doors of mission open. I've seen doors of employment open. I've seen doors of financial provision open. I've seen doors of education open. I've seen doors for visas open. Hallelujah. But I want to see more. How about you? For me, do you know why? Ultimately, why I really want to see doors open? Because it's to do with the rule and reign of Jesus coming to planet earth. It demonstrates that he is the king of all the earth, and he can do what he wants because it all belongs to him. And what does he want to do? He wants to bless the world. He wants to bless the world. What does he want to do? He wants to bless you. He wants to do you good. He wants to increase your confidence in him. Yes, I know we've had setbacks. I've had a few setbacks. I've had a few times where I've had to get up off the floor. Yeah? It's not all going to be smooth. We know that. But let's not give up. Let's persist because the Lord wants to do us good. Let's keep asking. Who knows what the Lord may do in response to our prayers? The disciples in that episode with Peter were gathered together and they were praying for Peter in that room. And Peter was locked up in prison. He was probably going to be executed like James the very next day. And the Lord worked in a spectacular, amazing, out-of-the-box manner that no one had thought of in such a way that they did not even believe it when it happened. I'd like to have some of those experiences that I don't even believe it when it happens. How could you do that, Father? He's well capable of thinking outside my box. I tend to think, Life will go down this way. I, I pray and I think, well, it'll work out this way and so on. But the Lord can work outside the box of our thinking. What about you, I want to ask you? Have you been asking recently? Have you been knocking on doors? Have you been seeking? Are there things on your heart? Are there doors that you would like to see opened? The Lord says to a pagan king called Cyrus, he says this, that even though you do not acknowledge me, I'm going to open doors for you. It's amazing. You don't acknowledge me. You don't know who I am. You don't care. You're not interested. I'm going to open doors for you. Isn't that amazingly gracious and kind? What about God's kids? What's he going to do for you and me? Eh? Is he going to open doors? I believe he will. The Lord literally opened doors for Peter to get out of prison. I want to be amazed, <laughs> like the disciples. We're going to break bread in a moment. And as we, before we break bread, let's just think. Maybe there are things that are on your heart. Maybe there are prayers that you've been praying. Maybe you have been asking. Maybe you have been seeking. Maybe you have been knocking. And you haven't yet seen doors open. Let's persist. Let's bring our dreams and desires and aspirations before the Lord. Because He cares. He's interested, and he's a personal God. Amen? Amen.